It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions, like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte, plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. It is I, Stephen Jodderan. Joining me, as always, is Armaka Fai and Jake Watroba. And on today's episode, we're chatting youth national team and their performance at the U20 World Cup in Poland. Now, before we get to any announcements, subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you are listening to. Give us a five-star review and follow us on Twitter at Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Now, we got some major announcements because we have a fantastic interview with the Las Vegas Lights owner, Brett Lashbrook. So be on the lookout for that. I know many of you are expecting that we chat about the U.S. men's national team and their friendly against Venezuela. They'll come out tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we'll be talking about the U.S. women's national team and their first game at the FIFA 2019 World Cup in France. Now, fellas, how are we doing today? Doing good. I'm doing great, Stephen. I'm doing great. Enjoying another wonderful day to watch some soccer. Enjoy this beautiful summer heat in Texas where if I walk outside for five seconds, I'm drenched in sweat. How are you, Jake? How are you doing over there? Wow, I'm doing so great. I'm doing so great. But what I want to know is, Stephen, how are you feeling after the, what was it, a half marathon you ran this morning? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling fine. My legs feel like they have fallen off, and I would love to sit in a tub of ice, but that's not going to happen. But I'm here doing the show. Let's move on. Hey, you're hey, so at committed. You did, I, I love I, it. I, at least, at least you didn't get a red card challenge in a pickup game. Is Hurts, that what man. happened to you? Yes, I got stomped on. I was like, nice. And I also got dead. Like some guys try to stop a breakaway in a pickup game because you know that's what people do, right? Like yeah. play like it's play like it's the MLS Cup or like the Champions League on the line when. You're playing with like a bunch of idiot bros. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you love to see it. Like, Fra- Douchebag frat people guys also count as that too. <laughs> when you play pickup, right, everyone thinks they're amazing. They think they're next Messi, Ronaldo, Paxton Pomacall, you know, all that stuff. And whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Pause right there. You're you're comparing Messi and Ronaldo. Okay, that's fine. That's a great comparison. It, it's Paxton, Paul McCall. It's a it's a meme. It's it's for the theme it's a question of the day. It's for the theme of the show. You okay, know, I, I gotta stick to the brand. I gotta stick to the brand. Stick they all think they're like Paxton Paul McCall out there taking on defenders when in reality they're just bums that barely play intramural and wanna do tackles to prevent me from scoring for some reason. 
okay, stop me, but don't like clear me out, man. Like, come on. They all, I swear, man, you play against these guys. They they have to like, oblige. Like, oh man, some scouts watch me. I gotta go all out and like break some guy's ankle or something like by stomping on him. Like, it's just pickup. Just relax. Listeners, I've also discovered that Armand is the biggest bandwagon because he was supporting a Bayern Munich jersey. Anyway, listeners, let's move on. To I have question. jerseys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Listeners, listeners, you guys know this. I am a huge jersey guy. I don't care what team it is. It looks cool. I buy it. That's how it is. I have to say, that Bayern Munich jersey made, does look good, though. If it was made in China. Or the, the, the <laughs> no, jersey that, from oh, China. That, that one was real, brother. <laughs> That one was, brother, we've changed. Oh, we, apparently so. Anyway, listeners, I know none of that really matters because you want to talk about soccer. And, of course, we're going to talk about soccer. And before we get to the question of the day, let's actually recap the U.S. Youth National Team game performance against Ecuador. Armand, take it away for us. It was it was an interesting game, you know. We, you have to wake up a little early on a Saturday at 10.30 our time to go watch. I know Jake was watching it. Steve was too busy running. Uh, um it started off, you know, with a fantastic strike from Ecuador Cifuentes. I mean, it was a beautiful strike. I thought a lot of people said Ochoa reacted badly. A lot of people blamed Durkin also for a goal for kind of just not tracking back. But I thought it was a pretty good strike. Then Tim Weah came back and scored off a little scramble in the box. Strong clinical finish, something the U.S. lacked uh, throughout the match. But then John Jairo Espinosa from Ecuador scored after oh, just a, a cluster bleep in the box. And you just end up the ball after a VAR check, check, a VAR check uh, with a tap-in to make it 2-1. That's basically what happened. I mean, the U.S. U-20s had opportunities to score. Sebastian Soto missed basically a sitter late on. And after that, Ecuador kind of took over and started dominating and using their athleticism, their physicality. And don't forget, this Ecuador team is pretty freaking good. They're not not like a laughingstock or anything. The U.S. bowing out. In this stage of the quarterfinal, hey, it's not that bad. But, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I think they, I thought they had a potential to win it all. I think there's a few just key mistakes throughout the match that kind of led them to not winning it all and not even make it to the semifinal. Listeners, it brings us to the question of the day. And tweet at us, at UncSamSoccerPod, what you think. Overall, are we happy with the U.S. Youth national team performance at the U20 World Cup in Poland. And now, Jake, we had a big discussion after they came back and beat France. How are we feeling after they bow out in the quarterfinals? Ecuador's a good team, but I'm I'm a little disappointed they lost today. I I, I feel like the door was wide open for them to to make a, a run to the final, and. Losing today, it, it kind of just feels like a gut punch a little bit. I, 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 I really think they they could have beaten Ecuador. And who knows, you know, at that point, you get to a semifinal, you're one, one win away from making a final. I, I just feel like it was, a, it was a big opportunity to miss today. For the third straight time, U-20 World Cup, the U.S. is out in the quarterfinals. Now, Armand, what is your reaction and answer to the question of the day? Am I disappointed? Yeah. Am I encouraged by what I saw? Yeah. Am I discouraged by some things I saw? Yeah. And I know one argument, me and Jake were kind of talking about this off the mic, is a lot of people talk about how these guys are just teenagers, you know, and you can't really talk about them critically because they're teenagers. I think you can. 
because these guys are professional athletes and you know professional athletes get talked about critically we get talked about critically i'm of younger age we're younger relative to the rest of the i guess podcast spectrum of of sorts and we get talked about critically i think we can talk about these guys critically there were some performances out there that just that shocked me it shocked me am i happy with how it ended i felt like there was something missing jake i don't know how you felt during the game it seemed like they 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 could have won it. They could have won it, man. Like it wasn't like a a, a match that they were like on the edge. Like oh, if they would beat them, moving lucky. No, this was their game for the taking. They were settling into the match and controlling it for bits and pieces of the match, like long bits and pieces. It's good for development. It's good to see what we got. But I also think we also saw a lot of overhyped talent as well, kind of get exposed during this World Cup. And sure, it's a small sample size of what five games. But at the same time, it's honestly the best stage you can see some guys like Sergino Dest, like Alex Menendez, like Yuli Lanez, without you know having to dig through like the Freiburg U19 archives to find out how they play. I mean, overall, I think it's it's a mixture of hey, we saw some good things, but hey, also we saw some overhyped talent as well that may not be as good as we expected. Armand, you said something interesting there. You're talking about whether or not we should criticize or think critically or talk critically about the players performances and this leads quite well to actually the senior team where Burhalter, after the embarrassing loss against Jamaica said we performed poorly tonight and then Jeff Carlisle adds said the pressure of the roster announcement got to some guys I think it would be a benefit to these youngsters if they were talked about critically if we actually looked at their performance and say look you're trending downward after this tournament or you're trending upward we don't want to inflate the egos but I think it's a benefit a net benefit to the entire US system if you sit out there and have expectations I mean for three straight times we're out after the quarterfinals Armand you you said this could be a team that could go all the way whether or not I think the US fan base at large is happy there's there's a tendency to think happy because they beat France and came back dramatically. But if I had told you guys, now listeners, if I told you guys at the beginning of this tournament that they would get to the quarterfinals and then they lose, I don't know if you guys would be that happy with that outcome. I think we were happy. Were, were we happy, Jake? I'm a little disappointed, actually. I mean, I'm I'm a little disappointed because I just feel like they're... But guys, guys, <laughs> you, I, think, I, think, I think, Jake, you feel t- the same way. But yeah. t- take it into an entirety. Look at it from the grand scheme of things. They lost in the quarterfinals. Overall, with that performance, are we happy with it? Are we happy the direction the yes, youth with national some... teams had taken? Steve, I, I, think, I think I know what you're saying here. For me, I'm disappointed. And I don't think the win against France should overshadow the fact that this team bowed out in the quarterfinals again for the third straight year. Like I said earlier, it felt like the door was wide open. Ecuador, while they are a good team, the U.S. played with them, and I thought for a good chunk of the match, the U.S. outplayed them in in, in some aspects of the game. I think you should be critical, and I think you should be disappointed if you're a U.S. fan that they didn't get beyond the, the quarterfinals today. I think it should be as well, because like I said, I think they have the potential to win it all, and we didn't see that. Uh, I mean, playing plan simply, and that could be do some tactical things. That could 
just overall play. But talent-wise, I think these guys really, I genuinely believe, I'm not being a homer or anything, that these guys had the talent to win the, the, the World Cup. Maybe I'm underestimating the rest of the world. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know, but I genuinely thought that from watching other teams and stuff like that. And they showed it in Spurs. They showed it in that fight with they showed in that fight, but overall, uh, that fight against France. But overall, it's not a it's not an ideal performance to say the least. Well, three straight years quarterfinal. Come on, Armand, you're not the only one to comment about the overall talent of this U.S. Reading from SI.com from Avi Credidor, and the article opens with this. For a third straight FIFA U-20 World Cup, the U.S. is out in the quarterfinals. It's disappointing, especially for a group that's among the most talented the U.S. has ever had at this competition. There's understandable sadness for the players who fell short of their goal, but in terms of the big picture, it's never about the result at this stage. So, I guess, guys, I mean, it, it really it, it really is dependent on individual players, right? It, it, it based on what Avi's saying here is that we have to talk about not necessarily the results, but whether or not these players will learn f- something from from what has happened or transpired here in Poland. Right. I mean, this this whole thing's about player development. I mean, let's. I mean, at, at, at the at the crux of everything. If they didn't win the U20 World Cup, but if you say five, six years from now, a player or two from this U20 team is playing for Borussia Dortmund or playing in the Premier League or La Liga, I think you would look back at it and and feel pretty good about this group of players because we were able to produce top-end talent in in the world. But in the same sense, though, too, you want – you want these players to also win something. You also want them to go deep in tournaments. You also want them to be battle tested in these type of uh, events. So I think you can look at it and say, you know, the results don't matter. All we care about is player development. All we care about is that in X amount of years from now, we have four, five, six players from this group that are mainstays in the national team setup. And I think you can also look at it and say, we also want these kids to win. We know, you know what I mean? Like, the U.S. national team doesn't win. I mean, they get to the World Cup, they get out of the group, that's it. Eventually, as a U.S. soccer fan, you want yeah. these players to go deeper into game or deeper into tournaments. So it would be nice if the U20 team could get to a semifinal or get to a final consistently. The quarterfinals is great; it's a good first step. But let's start. Let's get to a semifinal now. Let's let's do some semifinals. Let's maybe get to a final, and then let's maybe win it. And I think that's what U.S. soccer needs is a group of kids that have been through that, that the, the, the crucible of, of, of something like that. And that's something they can take with them as they go and play for the senior national team. Listeners question of the day overall, are we happy with the U S youth national team performance at the U 20 world cup in Poland? Tweet us at unk Sam soccer pod. Now, Armand pre-show notes, this came up. How do you grade Todd Ramos's performance? So at first I have B plus or none. I'm gonna scratch out. I'm gonna go flat B. Um, there were some decisions I just I don't understand. Um, uh, that I don't understand from Tob. He played fun, attacking football. Uh, lots of uh, plenty of possession. That 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 Nigeria game, he he did it so well. Um, then you go to Qatar game and you're like, yikes, that was not good. Then you go to France, like wow, Tob is so well against Ecuador. 
I think he made the right moves, but obviously it didn't work out. And I'll give him a B. He didn't really set up. There's a couple question marks I have on this team. For one, he set up Alex Mendez and uh, Chris Durkin kind of for failure uh, in the Qatar match, letting them accumulate a yellow card so they wouldn't play against France. And I mean, they beat France, but you only uh, players that you deem valuable to even be in that situation. I think his man management wasn't that good. Him sticking with Chris Durkin throughout was a very interesting move, in my opinion. I thought Durkin didn't have the best few games, and I mean, he was arguably one of the, wor- the worst, not worst, but one of the more not good players on the pitch in the in the game. Look, his man management just has to improve right there, and this much talent. I had someone comment to me that he might, that, you know, Tab might be holding the team back, which I think I don't know if that's true. A lot of people like Tab, but I mean, I I I wasn't a fan of his performance. To give him an A, to be honest with you, and you know if he deserved an A, he would deserve an A. But this this was not an A performance. It was more of a B in my eyes, as a, as a teacher, I guess, as a as I'm grading someone, you know. Jake, I'm giving him a B minus. He got the U.S. to where they typically end up. Uh, but some of the performances were awful. Some of his tactics, I thought, were a mistake. But let me ask you guys, when we are talking about these situations, the coach can absolutely lose the game for the team, but he cannot win the game for them. It's up to the players. So what what blame gets put on the players and what blame gets put on Ramos for some of the terrible performances and some of the genius moments of the World Cup. That's a tough one, Stephen. In my eyes, uh, it's, it's it's a very developmental, de- developmental. Excuse me, uh, heavy tournament. The blame in this instance, I mean, I guess you have to blame. A, uh, I guess the positive negatives kind of fall on tab, right? Because he has to set up these guys to to showcase their skills in the right way so they look good and develop on a right pattern. I mean, I guess that's where I'd go with that. I mean, I guess you go with Tab for the, the ups and the downs. I mean, if you set up a player like what Mark McKenzie at right back, that seems like you're saying a player for failure because Mark McKenzie's never played right back in his life. Like, that, that uh, that's not going to help someone's development. I think, you know what, now I guess maybe it's less unclear. And to me, I guess you put most of it on Tab because set him up for, fa- set him up for success – if, and if you don't set up for success and they fail, if Mark McKenzie was a center back and he failed, then maybe you could talk about Mark McKenzie may step up in this and this. But if you're not right back, you're setting up that guy for failure, man. That's uh, it, it That's strictly top, a coaching man. decision. That's strictly exactly. a coaching that's move. On, so that, you... If you put Paxton on the wing and he, ex- and he excels, all right, good job, Tab. You did it. But if you, you get the positives and the negatives. Guys, I want to move the conversation to uh, players that we enjoyed most to watch during this uh, five-game stretch for the U20 team. And I'll, and I'll start with mine. For me, at the top of the list, it's Timothy Weah. Just because an attacker, the U.S. traditionally hasn't really produced that many great attackers. I mean, Christian Pulisic has kind of been that that first crop of hey, attacking talent that we have. So... Jake, I, I let me, enjoy let me interrupt you about Tim Weah. Okay, yeah, Timothy sure. Weah. Wasn't this kind of a not make or break tournament, but a very important tournament for this player? 
because of the unknown of his future at PSG, where he might end up being so young. I know he's so young, but it, it, there were moments where Timothy Weah just gets lost in a game, and you're like, he's just another player. And there are moments where you're like, wow, this has the potential to abs- be a legend. I would say for somebody like a a big ter- tournament for him, I mean, like you said, he's at PSG. He kind of floats in and out of games where sometimes you lose track of where he is or what exactly he's doing, but then he has moments of brilliance and you go, wow, this guy has all the talent in the world to be uh, one of the better players over in Europe. So yeah, I think this was an important tournament for him. I think it, it was important for him to have a good showing to show PSG or any team thinking about maybe bringing him in on loan that he has what it takes to produce at a, at a very high level. But Armand, what player or players did you enjoy watching the most? FC Dallas, bias aside, Paxson Pomaco, I really enjoyed watching play. I think he was very fun to watch. Uh, his work rate up in that pitch is insane. That kid works his tail off, and I think he's re- really discovering himself more as an 8 than a 10, as many people have listed on his past. Oh, this guy's a 10, blah, blah, blah. No, he's an 8, and he works his tail off to get the ball back. Uh, he's single, not really single-handedly, but him going into that 50-50 ball created one of the goals in France. Sure, he didn't have a good game today against Ecuador, but overall, I think his tournament was positive, and I think he'll for sure have some people looking at him uh, to buy him from FC Dallas relatively soon. Alex Mendez as well uh, from Freiburg, uh, U19. His maybe his tendency to shoot the ball long isn't the best, but I also I don't think it tabs him up for uh, success. I feel like he's more of a 10, and the way he plays, the way he acts, the way he shoots, the way he wants to play. And it's – I call it the Keaton Parks problem. Uh, we're going we're gonna to diagnose things called the Keaton Parks problem. It's they, – they want an offensive-minded player who's not good at defense to play defensively. Keaton Parks was doing that at the six in Benfica, and obviously it's uh, – I don't know if it's working out that well for him. And obviously a lot of people have said he's not that good at defensively. It's like, yeah, you're setting up a guy for failure. I don't think Mendes should have been put in a role to where he has to be moving up down the pitch. He's not that good defensively. So why not put him more of a free offensive role and have him launch those long shots, have Paxton Pomacall and maybe a Durkin or a Sorio or whoever, a Cervania behind him to, you know, help facilitate and help Mendes just focus specifically on the offensive end. Sure, modern football is moving towards in a free eight or whatever you want to call it, but I think it was not setting him up well. And I think it saw flashes of attacking fun that excitement he has those long shots that almost went in that he never scored on like those are fun i think if you just focused on that he'd be much he'd be a much better player than him playing in the defensive role as well i mean those two players in the midfield i think really really were fun to watch yeah richards way up i think those definitely stood out and it, it begs the question is is that kind of the core that we might see progress to the senior team and we look back to this U20 performance and say, hey, these are the players that came out of it. I mean, Richards at Bayern Munich, you have two center backs in Hummels and Boateng who who are aging. Could he replace them? But he's also young enough to get shipped out on a, on a loaning spell. And what would that happen? What would that do? Well, to he, just got, he just got promoted to uh, Bayern too from the U19. He just got promoted. Uh, I was on the five players get promoted up, so I think. I, yeah, I and, think I think I think Byron is looking at him as a player of the future. Uh, that maybe again bias aside, but he showed out. 
in a tournament. I thought he played really well. His composure on the ball was far above anyone else's on the team. No, you're right. And I think you can see these players when they go into an academy or they, they move at 18 into an academy like Richards did at Bayern Munich where they're getting excellent coaching, world-class coaching and development. It shows on a pitch among his peers. Whether or not that translates to the senior team where everyone at that point is somewhat on an equal playing field, but at a U20, where you do your youth football matters because it, it, it clearly divides the haves and haves-nots and the talents and the non-talents. All right, guys, well, let's, let's move on to the future here. I have an interesting quote from Sam Stasekel's story earlier this week. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Sam Stasekel from The Athletic had this little excerpt from his story on the lost generation of the 1990 to 1994 age group. This quote has no relation to that. It actually pertains to this U20 group. Sam Stasekel writes, A grand total of five players from the 2015 and 2017 U.S. U20 teams have grown into regular roles with the U.S. men's national team, and that's a pretty natural hit rate. We shouldn't expect it to be much different for the current crop of U20s, but it almost has to be if the U.S. wants to improve on past World Cup finishes in 2022. Armand, You've paid pretty close attention to this U20 team. What's the hit rate, do you think? Oh, you're asking oh, me a spicy question right now, Jake. That, that is spicy. Yikes. That I would say at least three. Spicy. At least three. You, you want to name them? Uh, Pomichol, are we, are we not going to speak? Richards, and Weah. All right, so I'm, I pull up the roster right now. Um, the hit rate. Oh, Jake. Come with the heat, man. Well, I mean, if 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 what Stasekel is suggesting here is, he mentions only five players from the 2015 and 2017 teams. So have, what's a hit? Is a hit them playing regular in and playing high football or being a part of U.S. Men's National Team? How about regular... how about how about regular? Fine, but in the 2022 World Cup roster, not necessarily playing, but or 2026, the, both. Expand it out. Because right, I think right. within 2022, it's still pretty early for, for some of these 19, 20-year-olds. By that age, they're they're in between 22 and 24, 25. You still have an opportunity to get to the national team in 2026. I, I would go with Richards, Wea, Pomacall, and um, yeah, I think those three specifically will be 2022. Agreed. I think those I'm, guys. Agreed. Jake, are you in agreement there? No, I think it's two for 2022. Really? Who who, who, who gets dropped? Pomichol. I think Richards and Way are the two that that are on the. If they do qualify for Qatar, I think those are the two players. Do you think Richards? Just thinking of like depth and everything like that. Right, right. But do you think Richards pulls away as the the next center back pairing with Brooks and Aaron Long? I don't know if he's the next center back pairing, but I could see him being the third or fourth center back called into the team for a potential 2022 World Cup. So he, just might, because he might be depth. He's a depth player at the moment. At, at that at, moment. That, at, that, at that moment, yes. I could see him being a depth player, and then 2026, he then move, he replaces John Brooks and moves into that role. Armand, is Chris Richards a depth player in your eyes in 2022? I think that's a great that's, – that's a, that's a natural step, right? You go from starting at the U20s to now he probably, um, you know – 
let's say next year he excels with Byron too. Uh, so we're talking 2020. This that that year he starts um, maybe getting some first team minutes. If it's a natural progression of where we go, or he gets loaned out, then yes, I think he'd be a good depth piece. But does he surpass Aaron Long though? That's my question. No, I, I don't think so. Not yet. Not I yet. I, I, think I see. I think there could be the potential that he does. Not saying that that will happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be as shocked uh, as maybe others would be if he actually does pass, and it could be part of the the center back pairing. But also depends on it, what Greg Berhalter wants in his system. Remember, Greg Berhalter wants players to fit his system. He's not necessarily going out for the most talented players. And I think Richards fits his system better than anyone else because he can play with his feet. And I think that's a big problem the U.S. has right now. They they don't have that many center, they don't have that many center backs that can play with their feet, right? We're still the U.S. still relying on Omar Gonzalez. But to continue your point, Stephen, um, for 2026, right from from this roster, I'll stick with those three. I'm going to add Alex Mendez into the mix. Rich, Richie Ledesma seems very interesting to me uh, at PSV. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he made it as well. And you know what? Uh, let's make it a sixth. I'm a huge fan of Yuli Lanez Jr. from Wolfsburg. I thought he provided dynamic was dynamic on the wing, and I think he will figure out a way to make it in 2026. Not right now, not in 2022. I think 2022 is very... Not a lot of these guys, I don't think, will make 2022, but 2026, I think, remember, talking five or six, which I think is expected hit rate, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says five or six. I think 2022 will probably lead. The 2022 roster might rely more on previous World Cups than this specific U21, if that's making sense. Uh, yeah, listen- that might be a disaster then. Oof. Yeah, Oof. and. Another player that's probably going to get a lot of attention is the fact that the U.S. have a youth development project with Barcelona and Conrad de la Fuente. Does he have an opportunity, based on what you guys saw with this U-20 World Cup, to sneak into any of the national team's rosters for the World Cup? Not 2022. Uh, He's 17. He'll have time to develop. By the time it's, what, 2026 we're talking what seven years he'll be 24 i think he can, he can have he can have a chance or, or 25 actually he'll have a chance potentially to sneak in i think 2026 not even sneak in but be a contributor but right now i think it's way too early for de la fuente uh, he obviously developed a little bit more he's not the best showing i do 20 world cup remember he's only 17 he's the youngest uh player on this team actually most likely and be he was- included in next u20 world cup I, I mean, unless they pull a Josh Sargent and, you know, call him for Gold Cup and then cut him. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> Shots. We, uh, <laughs> it, it, it might be. I mean, him and I think Garujo are the only two that are eligible for the uh, 20 for the next edition. So, we'll see how that goes, man. We're thinking way too far. We're thinking way too far in the future, though. Yeah, way too far in the future here. I mean, I guess, yeah, he does have a shot for the 2026, not the 2022. I, you would have to feel good about a kid playing in the Barcelona Academy. That's cool for the U.S. to say that they have a, a project there. But some pressure 17. on this player, no? Just because he's in the Barcelona, Barcelona Academy and everyone's going to freak out. Oh, U.S. has a player in Barcelona. You could say <laughs> that, but... You- you could say that, but you could also say there's pressure on Dest because he's playing in the Ajax Academy, and Ajax is known for 
churning out talent. And if they don't spit him out into being a good player, then you know there's got to be a lot of pressure on him as well. And maybe even Chris Richards playing for a big club in in. Yeah, Bayern but I feel Munich. like Chris Richards is on solid, more solid grounds. Yeah, but you can say that if he doesn't feature for Bayern Munich, then people might look at him and go, "I see, he wasn't that good enough." Now he's playing for some middling Bundesliga team or some championship team in England or something like that. So you always there go are, to the there... championship. Have you I noticed watched... that, Armand? Every U.S. player that somewhat is okay ends up in the championship with Jake. Matt Miazga, Dwayne Holmes, Jeff Cameron. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, yeah, but you just, for some reason, have this tendency just to ship players there. If if they, they're spelled. Cameron Carter-Vickers, yeah, okay. Anthony Robinson, mm-hmm. DeAndre Yedlin at one point in time. I think he played the championship. Jake with the heat. Jake with the heat. Danny Williams. I mean, Danny Williams. I mean, I, I, it is what it is. I, I, I just think that a lot, I think players, these players that are playing at big clubs are actually under a lot more pressure than players who are uh, isn't is Mendes not even that, but these players over in Europe is is it Mendes who's at Freiburg or is he at Wolfsburg? Yeah, Freiburg. Whatever it may be, players like that who are at Freiburg or Wolfsburg or Werder Bremen, smaller mid-table clubs. The, 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 I don't feel like there's as much pressure on them, or there's not this microscope on them. Because let's face it, let's take Timothy Weah for example. He's at PSG. When you think Timothy Way and PSG, you think, oh, if PSG wants him, he must be really flipping good, right? He must be high in talent. Right. So then when he doesn't become world-class, he doesn't become on the same level as Christian Pulisic or Tyler Adams, you then go, yeah, but he kind of busted. You know, he's not, he didn't play for PSG. But listeners, before we wrap here, we want to get your take. Question of the day, overall, are you happy with the U.S. youth national team's performance at the U20 World Cup. Let us know. Send it to us on Twitter, at UncSamSoccerPod, or you can send it to any one of us, at Jake Wittroba, at Armand Kafai, at Steven Jodoran. Don't forget, later on this week, our interview with Las Vegas Lights owner, Brent Lashbrook. Also keep an eye out for our reviews, or recaps, if you will, of the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team as they prepare, the men prepare for the Gold Cup and the women get ready to conquer France. So be on the lookout for those. For Steven, for Armand, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.